Welcome to the Endpoints Podcast, presented by the ALS Therapy Development Institute. I'm Jonathan Gang. In vitro experiments, or experiments in cells, are a big element of drug discovery. When we test potential drugs, we want to get an idea of how they'll behave in a living organism, whether they're safe, and whether they help to treat a particular disease. Using cultures of cells in a dish allows researchers to rapidly test large numbers of compounds quickly, much faster than in an animal model. At ALS-TDI, we test thousands of drug-like compounds every year to identify the most promising candidates for further testing in animal models of ALS, experiments that are much more representative of how a drug might behave when given to a human being, but take much, much longer. One of our most powerful new tools in recent years for cell-based experiments are something called induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs. iPSCs are created with a technique that allows scientists to take living cells, often skin cells, from an adult human and revert them to the state of a stem cell, which can then be grown into any other kind of cell in the body, including cells affected by ALS, like motor neurons. To further explain what an iPSC is, and how we use them in our research at ALS-TDI. We're joined today by Dr. Kyle Denton, ALS-TDI's Director of Cell Biology. Just uh, to get started, um, could you maybe talk a little bit just about what a stem cell is and what its function normally in biology is? Sure. So a stem cell is a type of cell that's able to be differentiated into different cell types, so more terminal cell types. Um, so in our case, we're using induced pluripotent stem cells. So those are stem cells that have been um, generated in the lab. So we take skin cells or you can you can use other cell types, but we're generally using skin cells or dermal fibroblasts that we forced back into a um, naive state by forcing them to overexpress the Yamanaka factors. So those are transcription factors that when we force cells to uh, express those, they kind of revert back to a uh, embryonic state. So they are similar to embryonic stem cells and we can then use those uh, to differentiate into different cell types that are that make up uh, humans. So in our case, we're, we're using them to differentiate into neurons, astrocytes, microglia, uh, legodendrocytes, and uh, muscle cells. So different cell types that are affected in ALS. Um, so what exactly do you mean by differentiate? So yeah, uh, differentiate is a kind of term we use where we're guiding them to uh, generate or we're guiding them to develop into the cell types that we want them to. So they start at a immature state uh, that can theoretically become any cell type in the body. And then we add different cocktails of growth factors and small molecules to their media. And then over the course of several weeks, they gradually develop into the cell types that we're trying to, to generate. So for spinal motor neurons, we'll, we'll add factors that, um, neuralize the cells so they'll they'll go down the neural lineage and then we'll add other factors that specify them to become spinal motor neurons instead of cortical neurons um, so yeah that's kind of the overview of what we're we're doing when we're differentiating cells mm -hmm. and um 
What's what's the advantage of using these IPS cells over, say, just sort of collecting cells from someone with ALS? Yeah, so there's definitely pros and cons. Um, there are benefits to using primary cells from patients. Um, but one of the benefit, the main benefits for using uh, induced pluripotent stem cells is we can collect cells from a patient and then use, revert them into iPSCs, and then we can proliferate those cells or grow them uh, in an incubator and generate massive amounts of those cells, uh, pretty much unlimited numbers of those cells, and freeze them down in a uh, liquid nitrogen uh, freezer and thaw those cells and use them for experiments where we differentiate them into the, the cell types I mentioned earlier. Um, whereas if we were taking primary cells from a patient, generally the, the cells cannot be uh, cultured indefinitely. So you would either have to be very careful with the experiments that you perform because you don't want to run out of those cells, or you could force them to become, we, you can immortalize the cells um, by forcing them to overexpress telomerase. Um, but then you're kind of manipulating the genome of those cells. So uh, it's unclear if that may cause changes. And also the other, the main benefit is you can't really, you cannot collect um, neurons from a patient in a way that would not harm the patient. So in order to study the cell types that are directly affected by ALS, induced pluripotent stem cells are probably one of the best systems for that. Yeah, and can you tell, talk a little bit about, you know, I know you had a big role in getting this program up and running at TDI. Can you, you know, basically, like, what were we doing before, and then how did we sort of get to where we are now with the IPS program? Yeah, so when I joined, um, the bulk of the effort was focused on collecting uh, patient-derived cell lines. So we were collecting the, the fibroblasts or skin cells from patients and um, a lot of effort was put into banking those cells and making sure that they were stored appropriately in a way where they're organized so that we can go back and find um, which, which cell lines are where, and then doing characterization of those cells, so uh, whole genome sequencing, um, making sure that uh, they have the, the mutations that we think they have. Um, but I was brought on to kind of focus on doing some cellular phenotyping work. So... Those are types of experiments where we uh, grow the cells, differentiate them into cell types that we're interested in, and then look for differences between control and ALS cell lines. And we're looking for disease-relevant phenotypes with those cells. And once we identify those, we can attempt to turn those into a screenable assay where we can then uh, treat those cells with different drugs to see if we can correct those uh, phenotypes that we have identified. Mm -hmm. And then kind of in like sort of the basic big picture way, where do these cell-based tests or assays sort of sit within our uh, drug discovery program? Yeah, so those are at the, probably at the beginning phase of uh, our drug discovery program. So once we identify a phenotype, we'll, we'll we're kind of like the filter for the company where we test, we are capable of testing large quantities of uh, small molecules. And then once we identify those that seem to be effective in cells, we'll follow up with additional experiments. And then eventually if they look promising enough, 
we'll hand those off to our uh, pharmacology team where they can test the, uh, those compounds in uh, animal models of ALS. So, and then are we running like, is it just mostly drug testing or are we running other kinds of experiments in these cells? We're doing, besides drug testing, we're also doing more basic science research to try to understand the mechanisms of certain forms of ALS that we're currently focused on. So trying to understand the role of CNN-ORF or SOD1 um, by doing genetic manipulations to those cells um, in addition to the, the drug screening work. Mm -hmm. So when you, we are taking cells from people with ALS um, and, you know, bringing them back to the uh, embryonic state and then growing them back into another cell, they still demonstrate those same symptoms of ALS, uh, even when they've sort of been brought back to zero and then grown back into a new cell. Yeah, so that's been kind of one of the bigger challenges in the field. Certain phenotypes seem to replicate when you go through that process of revert, reverting them back and then differentiating them. Others sometimes do not appear. Um, one of the reasons may be due to the fact that when you differentiate a induced pluripotent stem cell or embryonic stem cell into a neuron, they are never going to become as mature of a neuron as what exists in the patient at, in an adult stage. Generally, those neurons are more like fetal neurons. There are groups that have been working on ways to kind of accelerate the aging of those cells. So you can, uh, there's, there's a group um, at Columbia where they're differentiating cells and then forcing them to overexpress this protein, uh, progerin, that leads to premature aging. And they found in Parkinson's disease that when you overexpress that protein, you then see uh, age-related disease phenotypes in dopaminergic neurons that you would not see otherwise. Uh, and other groups are working on chemical ways so you can add cocktails to the media to try to speed up the aging process so you can make a more accurate model of uh, disease uh, age-related diseases. Like, what's kind of the history behind this? How, how long has this kind of technology been around, and uh, kind of where else has it been used sort of in the broader field? Yeah, so induced pluripotent stem cells. Uh, the first paper was published, I think, in 2006 with a, in, in mice using mouse cells and by the Yamanaka lab and then also the Jamie Thompson lab at Wisconsin-Madison. Um, so they were the, the first two people to identify the factors, the transcription factors that can be used to generate induced pluripotent stem cells from adult somatic cells. Since then, um, it became pretty obvious that those systems would be useful for disease modeling in humans um, because prior to that, there was almost no access to cells like neurons, human neurons, uh, other than post-mortem samples where you're studying cells that are um, probably dead already. So you can take samples from a deceased patient and then look at the gene expression or proteomics on those cells. Um, but yeah, since the initial discovery of uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, lots and lots of groups have been using them for disease modeling. Um, the differentiation protocols are constantly evolving and improving. Um, 
I think when I started, the differentiation protocols used to be a lot longer, so several months long to generate spinal motor neurons. And then the purity of those uh, populations of cells that you can generate was pretty low. So you were maybe generating 30% neurons. Now we have much better protocols where you can generate over 90% of the, the cell types that you're trying to study. And that just improves the kind of validity of your model when you don't have different cell types contaminating your results. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about sort of your own history working with iPSCs? Yeah, so I started working with, or I became interested in uh, induced pluripotent stem cells when I took a graduate course at UMass Med School. Um, it was Mammalian Stem Cells in Development. It was a part of my master's program uh, at Clark University. And that was the first time I ever heard of induced pluripotent stem cells. We read the original Yamanaka and uh, Thompson papers where they uh, identified the transcription factors that can generate induced pluripotent stem cells. And so after that, I kind of realized I wanted to continue working uh, or wanted to start working with those cells. So I applied to grad school and I went to the University of Connecticut at the health center, so their medical school campus, and I joined the lab of uh, Dr. June Lee, and she was in um, Suchun Zhang's lab at Wisconsin-Madison, so he was kind of one of the, the first labs to identify a protocol for generating spinal motor neurons uh, from human cells, and so my advisor was a postdoc in that lab and was the first author on that paper. Um, so I got to work with spinal motor neurons and we chose for my, uh, thesis project to study the disease hereditary spastic paraplegias, which is a similar, a disease similar to ALS that involves upper motor neurons and lower motor neurons degenerating. It's not a fatal disease like ALS, but patients become paralyzed, uh, and lose the, yeah, they lose the ability to walk or coordinate their hands. Um, and it's uh, like ALS incurable. So we, uh, for my thesis work, obtained patient cell lines through our collaborator, Craig Blackstone at the NIH. And uh, we differentiated, reprogrammed them into stem cells and then differentiated them into spinal motor neurons. And then I focused on studying axonal transport. So the, the way that neurons communicate with each other is by sending out axons and dendrites to talk to other cells. And so we were looking at how proteins and molecules are moved along those axons and whether or not that defects in those systems lead to the degeneration of those cells. And so I had that experience uh, working with stem cells already. And then I ended up uh, work joining the ALS, ALS TDI in 2016, um, where I got to kind of use that experience working with induced pluripotent stem cells and disease modeling uh, towards ALS. Got it. Uh, and then I, you, you kind of touched on this earlier, but are there any uh, like real particular challenges uh, in sort of, you know, using this technology in ALS specifically? Yeah, I would say one of the challenges uh, for using iPSDs to model ALS is just the heterogeneity of ALS. It's not just one disease, it's more of a syndrome 
or yeah, there's a spectrum of diseases. Because um, as we know, there's lots of genetic causes of ALS with many disease causing mutations, but there's also the large percentage of patients that have sporadic forms of ALS, where right now it's unclear what the genetic basis is of those. So designing studies that can kind of cover all of the different types of ALS is difficult. So we generally have to focus on one type at a time and kind of be nimble and hop around between different types, depending on our bandwidth. So how how, uh, would you say that our program is relatively like unique or does it stand out in the ALS space? And if you're able to comment on why that is. Yeah, I would say uh, we're unique because we are solely focused on ALS, but we also have the, um, I guess, automation capabilities, high throughput systems so that we're we're able to do, um, we kind of function like an academic lab where we're both focused on basic science of ALS, um, but we were able to do the the drug screening experiments uh, at the same time. And we have the close connection with our um, colleagues in the pharmacology department. So Theo is, Hatropetros is able to test any uh, molecules that we identify in mouse models of ALS. And so we get kind of rapid uh, turnaround time where we're seeing the results of how these drugs are performing in um, the best model, mouse model of ALS. And then we can kind of go back into the cells and then test variants of those compounds and then, uh, yeah, cycle back to the in vivo side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, can you talk about any hits that we've seen in the model so far? Yes, yeah, so we have identified a number of um, redox metabolism regulators uh, that appear to be rescuing the survival of the the neurons that we've been studying currently. Uh, I'm working with medicinal chemists to kind of modify and evolve those compounds in a way to try to make them perform better, both in our cellular system and then also those are getting tested in the SOD1 mouse model of ALS. So we're also seeing uh, promising results in both cells and in mice. And so what are the what are the next steps for that hit? Yeah, so right now we have a pretty large list of compounds that show activity uh, or ability to rescue our cells to varying degrees. So um, they all work at different concentrations of the drug. And we passed a number of those on to the in vivo side to get tested in mice. So right now we're trying to identify the lead molecule. So we want to pick which one seems to be performing the best that we'll continue to uh, follow up on and do more preclinical studies and then hopefully eventually get those that compound into a clinical trial. Um, but in terms of what's next, we need to see which one we think will have the characteristics to be the most drug-like, so it has the best therapeutic index, so doesn't appear to be toxic to patients or in our case, right now, we're testing it in mice. So we want the one that shows the best activity at improving disease symptoms in the patients, but also uh, not uh, not be toxic. Um, 
Can you tell me like what the timeline uh, for something like that might look like? Yeah, I think we're hoping to have uh, to identify the lead molecule in our series uh, within the next year. Uh, right now, we have we've tested over a hundred uh, analogs of our our original hit um, that we've been slowly improving and trying to to, to make perform better. Um, so we're hoping in the next year to have enough data to where we can confidently say we think this one is going to be the one that performs the best and we'll continue that on. Thanks to Dr. Kyle Denton for joining us today. To learn more about ALS-TDI's research to end ALS and how you can help support it, visit ALS.net. Thanks for listening.